Amen. Again, welcome to those of you here at Calvary that may be newer with us, maybe your first time, or maybe you have just started coming to the church. Delighted to have you. I hope that you will feel warmly welcomed, and I want to give you a special uh, invitation next Sunday after the second service. We're having a little time called Get Connected, and that's just an opportunity for you to get connected uh, with others who are newer to the church, uh, get connected to our staff, and some of our leadership will be there. Suzanne and I will be there as well, and we would invite you to take about an hour after, 45 minutes or so after the second service. Uh, come and spend some time with us. We'll be hearing a little bit more about that, but I wanted to give you a special invitation for that next Sunday. You know, as we've been uh, enjoying our time together with many of you, and you've been so hospitable, and we love the time we get together for a coffee or a meeting or a meal together, uh, many of you have asked, um, well, what do you guys, who did you leave in the States? Do you have family? Do you have, what do you have there? And so I thought, well, I better bring a little picture to show you, uh, show you a little bit about our family. That Suzanne and I are connected to the States, and so I think there's a picture that they're up there. David, thank you. This is us, um, our two sons. Nate is on the right. He's our oldest son. He is a pilot in the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, and also with Southwest Airlines. And then our son, Tim, uh, he is a doctor in a hospital there in uh, Oregon, and he's involved right now. Their hospital is filled with COVID patients. They have a, lo- a huge outpouring there of the virus in Oregon. Our older son, he is in the Middle East now on a um, deployment in Qatar there with the military. And then their families, uh, it's Nate and Kate is his wife and their two sons, Jack and Luke, our two grandsons, uh, seven and five. And then our younger son, Tim, his wife is Brittany. And that's little Julianne. She's about two and a half. She's the uh, little princess of the group. So that's the Preston family. And then Suzanne, of course, and I are here. But many of you have asked us, so I thought, well, we should probably show a picture to say that's the connection that we have yeah, still left in the United States. But thank you for your interest in that as well. And I also wanted to tell you a thank you on our behalf, but also on behalf of Douglas and uh, Susie Peck for the uh, warm greeting, our welcome you gave to us last week, and thank you for pastor appreciation. In October, you gave us a nice gift, and then um, also just a, a sweet card from the uh, leadership team here at the church, and we appreciated that, and on their behalf, I wanted to say thank you to that, uh, for that. And then it reminded me, though, too, you know, it's, it was a nice written card of uh, thanking us for being here and so forth, and I thought, I wonder if it's probably been a long time since you received a handwritten thank you note in the mail. I thought of that, it's true for me. I remember when I was real little, uh, my parents, they taught us how to write those notes. You wrote it on a card and you signed your name and you told them what you were thankful for and you put a stamp on it, address it, put it in the mail. That's kind of a lost thing today, at least in the United States and I think here in Brazil too. I don't know when the last time was you wrote one of those or received one. Maybe some of you thinking, what, don't even know what that is. When did you live and find that? Well, it was a generation ago, I realized, like last century, but we used to do that. It doesn't happen much anymore in our age of technology and electronic communication. We send out a quick email or a text, or we just put it on one of our social media platforms, hey, thanks for such and such. We don't get those personal handwritten notes much anymore. 
And I suspect that's why it will seem a little odd to us today to come across a handwritten thank you note that's in the New Testament. It's one that we've been considering in a little book called Philippians. We've been looking at that for the last several weeks, since, actually since we came in, in August, in a series called Unchained Living, a series on this letter to the Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul. We call it Unchained Living because that's exactly how Paul was living. He's in prison, he's in chains, he's there on, on some unjust charges, he wasn't guilty, but he wound up in prison for following Christ. But Paul raises above his circumstances, as, as we've discovered. And Paul lives an unchained life, even though he's chained in a prison cell in Rome. And he writes these wonderful letters to the church at Philippi, to the other churches elsewhere, Colossae and Ephesians. And Paul celebrates living unchained. He celebrates turning his prison into a pulpit for the gospel message. And the gospel has gone forth, and there have been many of us jailers who came to faith in Christ, became followers of Jesus because of Paul's unchained living. And if you think about it for a minute, that doesn't seem normal and natural, does it? How can someone be in, in prison, unjustly accused, chained, and yet rise above it, and live as always unchained, and live to further the gospel? and not complain about his circumstances? How could it be that someone's wrongly condemned and imprisoned and rises above their circumstances? It reminds me of the attitude of someone I heard recently in a, a video testimony. It came from a, a young man who had a great job. He, he was living in the United States. He was a, a top-notch mechanic for a luxury car brand had a good job, worked in a good dealership, great income, terrific benefits in his job, wonderful vacation time, guaranteed retirement, and then he and his wife made a decision to give it all up. Quit his job, and they decided to become faith missionaries. And so they left his job and they aligned with an organization called Mission Aviation Fellowship. It's a mission group that takes care of the airplanes and uh, flies into remote jungle areas around the world and brings the gospel. And his job is to take care of those airplanes, to keep them flying so that the missionaries can do their work. And when people, uh, their friends of theirs recognized that they were leaving their job and leaving the security of their life and they wondered, how crazy is that? Why would you do such a thing? He said in this testimony, his response was that as Christians... We need to live lives that demand an explanation. I thought, wow, that's crazy. Who does that? But it's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, or you're wondering what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you want to explore that, just read through the Gospels for a little ways and, and make note of how many times you see that being lived out. A lifestyle of someone that just needs explaining. Why would somebody do that? Look at the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, that's what our adult Bible study has been studying. Look at that lifestyle of the Sermon on the Mount, followers of Jesus. That demands some explanation, doesn't it? How someone could live like that. 
And that's exactly what we see of the Apostle Paul as he's there in the Roman prison, living that out and watching it. We say, could someone please explain that to me? How does somebody live an unchained life when they're in chains? That doesn't make any sense. Well, if we've gotten to this point in this book of Philippians in chapter 4, and you haven't been asking that question about Paul, I suppose that the closing words that we come to today will certainly bring us to that question. Because Paul ends this letter with this handwritten thank you note to the Philippians for a gift that they had sent to him. But it's, as you'll see, unlike any thank you note you've ever received or probably ever written. So I invite you with me, let's look over Paul's shoulder and watch him as he writes this morning as we consider the words of this extraordinary thank you note. We find it in chapter 4 of Philippians, and here's a brief summary of what he wrote. He said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. In, in the gift they sent. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, I admit, when you read those words, there's not too much that's shocking about those words at, at this point. He's simply saying, thanks for the gift and the care package that you sent to me while I'm here in prison in Rome. But as we see, we'll see as we continue, this note takes a turn. And it becomes unlike any thank you note we've seen or, re- or even received. For he continues like this in uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. So here's the the heart of Paul's thank you note. And, And if you're a bit of a church skeptic, and I suppose there are some here today, and you're welcome to be here, that's okay. But if you're a bit of a church skeptic or you feel like, Oh, the church is just after my money, or Christian ministries are only interested in in what I can give, and maybe you've taken a break from church, you said, I don't need that, I don't want that, or you're you're thinking, wouldn't you know it, we're new here at Calvary, we choose the money Sunday to be here and have to hear about more giving. I want you to know that Paul's thank you note will probably be a shock to you, not what you're expecting. Something you'll dig into in a minute and you'll say, can somebody explain that to me? That demands an explanation to live like that. Because essentially, uh, Paul's thank you note in his writing, it's not about how needy he is or was, uh, nor how their gift came at just the right time and saved him from disaster in life, nor is it an appeal to Why don't you make your your gift a monthly contribution that we often receive in our gifts? Or saying, hey, when you give again, somebody will match your gift, so why don't you do it again? Uh, Nor did he even slip in a a postage-paid reply envelope so they would give next month and continue on. 
Those are some of the negative things that we've come to associate with Christian giving, quite frankly. Oh, thank you, but we want more. Paul will have none of that. Rather, he tells them simply how content he is with his life, with his circumstances. Regardless of the frequency or the size of their gifts, he said, I'm well taken care of. Thank you for supplying that gift to me. But I'm content even as I am. See, you see, Paul's making an important connection here between giving and contentment. And here's the point. If you want your giving to be free, joyful, productive, biblical, rather than seeing it as a, a necessary obligation, a duty that we have to do as followers of Jesus, Paul says, then link your giving with contentment in life. The reason contentment is so important in this relationship is seen as he continues in verse 14. He says, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once, when I was in need. You see, contentment allows us to see opportunities for giving, just what the Philippians did. Because when you're content with where God has you, with what He's given you, whether it be much or whether it be little, you're freed up to watch for opportunities to invest God's resources that He's entrusted to you to invest them in the work of the kingdom, to invest them in what Jesus is all about and the work he's doing in people's lives. You're freed up from seeing your giving as an obligation or a distasteful duty. Now it becomes a joyful opportunity to share God's resources because he owns it all anyway. We are simply stewards of his things. It frees us up to see opportunities when we're content. I tell you, I've learned a lot about giving over the years. I wish that came naturally to me. I've had to learn that and continue to learn it. By, one of the ways is by observing people who do it well, give like that. And one of those people that God's brought into my life is my wife, Suzanne. She knows how to give like that. And she's taught our sons to give like that. She's probably the most generous giver I've, I've ever known. She's what I often tell her and others. You're the most generous person because you get more enjoyment out of giving than you do out of receiving. That's absolutely true. She'd much rather give than to receive. And that's precisely the attitude Paul says here. He says, I was really nice of you to give me that gift and the care package that came with it. But you know what really excites me, he says, about your gift is the benefit it brought to you. What you got out of it. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Of all the thank you notes I received over the years or wrote, none of them were like this. 
Essentially, he says, hey, thanks for the, the gift and thanks for the care package, but what I'm really excited about is what your gift did for you. Maybe you ought to try that out next time you send a thank you note to somebody. <laughs> hey, thanks. I'm so glad you, you had the opportunity to give to me because of what it did for you. I thought of trying that out to you right when we said thanks for the pastoral appreciation gift. Hey, thank you for giving those to us. I was so excited that you got the opportunity to give to me. <laughs> That's kind of what Paul's saying. His point is that giving is not primarily about the money, but it's about the blessing that the giver receives when we give. Because biblical giving brings blessing to the giver, not just the recipient. Unless we, we see, oh, that's, yeah, that's right. That's just some wonderful heavenly reward someday I'll, I guess I'll get some benefit from. The term Paul uses is different. He uses a banking business term here, the idea of being credited to your account. It carries the idea of, of an interest payment or a deposit that gets credited to your account here and now. If you make a deposit in your savings account, what happens next month? Yeah, you get interest this, in this life. You don't have to wait for heavenly interest. You get it now. So Paul is saying, that's what I'm excited about for you when you give to me, what's credited to your account. Now, if you're listening and careful, you're thinking some of you are saying, uh-oh, getting a little nervous. Uh, is he going to talk about this prosperity gospel? Is that where we're going? Give a dollar, get, get 10. Give 100 AI and get 1,000. This idea of God wants us to have an abundance. God wants all of us to live in prosperity. So give to us and God will give back to you. Well, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Nor does the Bible say that. So let me just be clear. If you hear that prosperity gospel preached, that's false teaching. That's not what the Bible is talking about here. That's not what Paul is saying. And so God doesn't say, if you have a small car, God wants you to have a big car. If you have a little vacation, God wants you to have a big vacation next year if you just give to us. But just because the Bible's not saying that, let's not discount what the Bible is saying about that and what Paul's saying here. He says that when we give, there is something credited to our account because of our giving. The New American Standard Bible translates that, the profit that increases to your account. Uh, the best translation, I think, is the, the old King James Version translation, the fruit that abounds to your account. Because that's the meaning of the Greek word that Paul uses here, karpos. It means fruit. It was used just a few, a few chapters earlier in chapter 1, verse 11, where Paul talks and he prayed that the Philippians would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. You see, Paul says giving out of contentment opens us up to receive the fruit of our giving, the fruit of our obedience. And Paul's not saying that because he's jockeying for some more gifts from them. He simply wants for them the fruit that swells 
their account with God, not with him. And what might that fruit look like? What kind of fruit do we get? Is Paul excited about that they're going to receive because of their gifts? Well, he tells us that in verse 19. And he says, my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When you're a contented giver, Paul says, I'm excited about that because the fruit that comes back to you is that God now will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul learned that from Jesus himself, of course. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all the needs, necessities of life, he says, will be given to you as well. And then in verse 19, he applies that promise to those who are giving out of contentment. The, prov- the provision and the blessing of God is those who have learned how to give biblically out of full hearts, content hearts. It's a promise for contented believers that God will provide all of your needs, all of them, not most, not some of the time, all of them, all of the time. So you have nothing to worry about if you're a biblical giver, a contented giver, regardless of your level of income, because the Bible exempts no one from giving, no matter if you have a lot or a little or nothing. The Bible says everyone has something to give to God. And so you'll be free from the worry of money. You'll be free from uh, always wondering if your needs are going to be met. You'll be free to look for opportunities to give, to utilize God's resources that he's entrusted to you. Because biblical giving is not about the money, but it's about the blessing. The blessing of God's provision. Paul says, the fruit that is credited to the account of, of contented believers. So Paul says. I remember some years ago when we were studying this passage with a small group that I was leading. A small group, and I, we came to that, and I, I asked them the question one evening. I said, so what fruit has been credited to your account through your giving? Well, their answers surprised me, frankly. They, I mean, they were moving to hear. So much so that I, I remember some even to this day as I was reflecting on that this week. One said, well, I've, da- I've gained some new and deeper friendships with those to whom I give. Others, another one said, I have now an unexpected freedom from worry about money. I've never experienced that before. Another said, I, I have peace about being able to live now within my budget, within the level of my income. Another said, I have joy in finding contentment with what I have, not always wishing I had more. Another said, I'm enjoying the opportunity to see new ways to give, more places to bless people, to gain fruit to my own account with God. That's why, frankly, I get so excited when a follower of Jesus learns how to become a contented giver. That's a great step 
in your Christian life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never come to that place, you've got a great joy ahead of you to discover that. I know it's a hard step, but there's great joy waiting for you when you learn to take that step. Or when a Christian who's going through a financial uncertainty and shortness of funds maybe learns that I can still give. I don't have to say, God, no, thanks. I, I'm not going to give to you anymore because you stopped giving to me. But learns the joy of giving even when there's not enough or seemingly too little because it means that God's going to continue to supply all of your needs according to his riches. You see, Paul received joy from the Philippians' gift, not because now he could buy a new tunic or he could get some warmer shoes for the cold dungeon where he, jail where he was in Rome, but because he knew now that God was going to take care of his friends, that God was going to supply all of their needs. And the reason it works this way is because of what he tells us in verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received the gift from Epaphroditus, the gifts that you sent. And they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You see here, giving is not ultimately about the money, but it's about the worship that our giving expresses. Those are worship words. Paul says, true worship always blesses the worshiper. We know that. We worship God, we're blessed in that worship. And that's why churches who understand this or ministries that understand it, and sometimes in a church they'll say, now it's time to give, or they pass the place, and they say, it's time to worship God with our giving. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. Giving is an act of worship. It's a tangible act of worship. And so when you place something in the plate or put it in the box, it's really a way to say, God, I worship you. Giving back to you something you've given to me that you own anyway. So hearing those words from Paul's written, if you're already a, a contented giver, you've already learned this, you do this, uh, you didn't need this message. But thanks for sitting through it anyway. I appreciate that. In fact, you could have preached this message. You could tell from your own life story what it means to give and to have God credit that fruit back to your own account. But if you're not a giver, or maybe you're a jaded or skeptical giver, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you think, yeah, again, the church, all they want is my money. You need this message more than you know. You, you're probably, if you're not giving, you're probably not giving for the wrong reasons. Or if you're giving and it's a little bit resentful, you're holding back even in your giving for the wrong reasons. For the truth is that God doesn't need your money. Now that's an odd thing I know for a pastor to say, right? Never thought you'd hear that said. But that's true. The Bible says God owns it all. He's not counting on us to fund something he wants to do. He has countless, endless people who understand the truth of joyful giving, contented giving. There's always enough resources for God's work. God's work will never go shorthanded. So it's not like we're saying give because God needs it or the church needs it. God knows how to fund his ministry. 
We give, Paul says, because we need it. We need what comes with giving, contented, joyful giving. And if you want to follow a Jesus whose mission you don't have to give to, well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus knows nothing about, our Jesus knows nothing about that. Because the Jesus Jesus of the Bible teaches his disciples that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Just what Paul is saying here. And until we can learn that and develop a contentment in our giving and in our having and what we have, we'll never receive the fruit of our giving, of what's credited to our account. We'll never experience the peace that comes from knowing that we're covered with God's promise that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. For the truth for us from this unusual thank you note from Paul is that giving is not about the money we give, but it's about the blessing we receive when we give. And so as we learn to give like that with contentment, we place ourselves under the umbrella of God's promise that now I can supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this reminder, this instruction that frees us up to be contented, joyous givers. And Lord, I know that that's a a hard step. We've never taken that to, to begin with. But it's a step that can free us to receive your best, can free us to receive the fruit that's credited to our account when we become joyful, contented, biblical givers. Thank you for instructing us and helping us move in that direction. God, I pray your grace across this room, especially for those that have have never experienced that, never discovered the joy of what it means to live a contented life, to give freely, to allow you to bless and to fill up our fruit basket with your blessings. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.